0: All right. Hey, listen, if you're a first time visitor in the room uh, or if you're here from last week, if you're over, if you're in overflow right now, if you're right next door. Hey, here's the thing. If you're in overflow, like don't think you can sneak out. All right. We got people at the doors. If you don't like what I'm about to talk about. All right. You you can't sneak out. Um, Hey, let me just throw it out there. We're talking about politics today. All right. We're talking about politics. We're talking about the church's response to politics. All right. Uh, So here's the thing. I think as, as the church, um, we have to lean into hard conversations. Uh, we we can't just talk about, so a few weeks back, I, t- I talked about building the church. And what does it look like to, to build the church? Any knucklehead can swing a sledgehammer, right? Anybody can tear stuff down, but but can we do the work of craftsmanship? Can we do the work of building each other up? There's a few things that I have to to give you uh, some precursors, all right, just a few precursors. I actually stole this uh, from a communicator in Nashville. Uh, I was doing some research, listening to to what other people were saying uh, around the country. Um, Side note, that's not where I started, all right? I started with this thing called the Bible. That's where I started. Uh, And and then I listened to some other people, all right? I kind of listened to what they were saying. But there were three major points and and precursors that I think that, that we have to preface before we get started. And the first one is this. As your pastor, can I encourage every single person in this room? Go vote. Go, go vote. Like that, that's, that's, the, that's the basis, right? That's the foundation. Use and exercise your right to vote. Listen, I've been in many different countries. I've, I've lived overseas. I was in the Marine Corps. I, I've been in countries to where people didn't have the opportunity to vote. We've all heard the stories of dictatorships. We've all had the history classes of communism, all right? Exercise your right to vote because it is a privilege. Number two, number two, all right? This is, this is where, I, where I could kind of get in some trouble here, uh, but I hope you kind of bear with me. Don't get up and walk out. Damon, where are you going? I'm going to call everybody if they walk out. No, I'm just kidding. I got you. You can't leave. You run the media, all right? Like, if you get up, I'm going to say, excuse me, where are you going? Oh, you got, you have your hall pass to go to the restroom, right? But the second one is this. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. My, my job isn't to spoon feed you. My, my job isn't to say, hey, listen to me because I have it figured out. If I told you who to vote for, a third of you would get up and walk out. A, a third of you would probably be like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe that he actually said that. And then the other third of you would probably sit there and go, I don't even know what's going on right now. Right? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm so uncomfortable, I don't, know, I don't know what to do. And the third thing is this, I'm not going to tell you who I'm voting for. Because my goal isn't for you to listen to my voice, my goal is for us to listen to Scripture. Yeah. My, my goal isn't for you to say, my pastor told me this, so I'm going to vote this way. My goal for us is that we, would, we all, all of us, somebody say all. all. All of us would listen to the Bible. Yeah. And we would listen to the fullness of, of the book. So today's title is this, The Church, Christian Civic Responsibility, and Politics. It's like, you said politics and church. That's a dirty word. Is anybody else a little nervous? Like, can you be honest with me? I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous. Anybody else got a knot in their stomach? Because I got a little knot. As I was preparing this sermon, it was like, Lord, you better give me some grace. And not give me some grace with people. (laughs) Because there's a lot of people... In the room, but when it comes to politics, I think that we have to take a deep breath and we have to truly have grace for one another. The response of the corporate church and the response of individual Christians is a little different. And scripture points directly to that. And there's a misunderstanding of the nuance between the two that has a lot, caused a lot of confusion. Because the reality of it is, church, we are called as the corporate body to live above politics. If you remember, Jesus actually refused to be a king. Jesus refused to say, hey, let me take a political stance. Jesus refused to say, hey, I I need to be king. He wasn't. So So what does that look like? I think he reminded everyone that his kingdom was higher and his message was always greater than a political system. If you remember back in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, Scripture says this, that we are citizens of what? Heaven. heaven. First and foremost, we're citizens of heaven. So our starting point can't be a person in a party. Our starting point, church, can't be party versus party. Our starting point has to always be the Bible. I know we're going a little traditional here. We actually have a real Bible up here. This is a real Bible. Like, it has pages. It's not an electronic version. But our starting point has to always be the Bible. See, statistically in this room, let me let me like rip the Band-Aid off, okay? Statistically in this room, there are people who have already voted for Biden, and there are people who have already voted for Trump. Statistically in this room, there are Democrats and there are Republicans. All of you guys aren't Democrats, and all of you guys aren't Republicans, but you, but you get what I'm saying. Statistically, in this room, that's the lay of the land. But can I remind us five minutes ago we were all worshiping the same God? Yes. Can, can I remind you five minutes ago we were all worshiping the same person? Our hands were lifted high. We were focused on God. So why do we as a church and as a society get our eyes off of God when we start talking about political issues? Can we commit to one another, regardless of how this goes the rest of the morning, can we commit to one another that our eyes would stay transfixed on who God is, not on what a political party is? So in this room, can I remind us that we're all on the same side? Ephesians chapter 6, I think it's a good place to start. So if you have your Bible, Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. If you don't have your Bible, we'll have it on the screens for you. But let me read it. Finally. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against who? The devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground. of God, then do what? Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Church, our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. It's not against each other, but it's against rulers, it's against authorities, and it's against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. All right, here here we go. We're okay talking about scary things. We're okay talking about the latest Netflix show. We're okay with talking about all the things of Halloween sometimes. And when it comes to talking about spirituality and spiritual warfare, we're like, that's weird. I don't want to talk about it. But church is in the Bible. And can I remind us that if we believe in the good side, then there has to be another side. Can we recognize that there are things at play in this world that are far greater than things we'll ever be able to physically see with our eyes? But church, his kingdom is higher and his message is always greater. So if we want to change the world, there's three things that we're actually called to do. We're called to prayer, we're called to fasting, and we're called to tearing down evil strongholds. That's what we're called to focus on. Prayer, fasting, and tearing down evil strongholds. Let me dive into Scripture a little more. Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. So let me paint this picture just for a second in the book of Acts. You have Saul and you have Barnabas. And they go out and and they start preaching and they start teaching and they're going through all of these synagogues and they're going through this area called Salamis and and they start talking to this man named Sergius Paulus who actually wanted to hear the teachings of God. So he wanted to understand what Paul and what Barnabas were talking about and so he goes to them, he summons them and they come in and, and they start talking about what Jesus had done and they start talking about scripture and then enters another person to the story. It says, but Elimus, the sorcerer, opposed them being Paul and Barnabas and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. So the proconsul was Sergius Paulus. So you have you have these guys who are talking about Jesus. They're talking about this biblical standpoint. And then you have this other man who enters called Elimus. Who was Elimus talking to? Sergius Paulus. Who was Sergius Paulus? He was actually a political figure of the day. So Elimus had the ear of the political figure. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, remember the name change, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He looked straight at Elimus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. Some of you are like, Oh, Lord, where are we going with this? <laughs> Don't worry. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Some of you are trying to determine if I'm talking about one side or the other. I'm not. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? The reason I'm not talking about a political party right now is because that's not our starting point. Our starting point has to always be Jesus. Now, the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, him being Elimus. And he groped about, he was grabbing around, trying to find someone to lead him by hand when the pro-council, Sergius Paulus, saw what had happened. He believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. So again, we paint this picture, and this is directly from Scripture. You have political figures who have... Have two sides. You have political figures who have one ear listening to one direction and and the other ear listening to another direction. So what does scripture say? Verse 6 through 8 says this simply, that there are people that Satan places within government who have the ear and influence of political leaders. Number two, Paul realized that this was primarily a spiritual battle, not a political battle. Again, I told you there were two different stances from, from the church as a whole. And right now we're just talking about the corporate body of the church. Paul realized that there was primarily a spiritual battle and not a political battle. Paul did not address a and and political discussion. He's like, whoa, I thought we were talking about politics. Are we not talking about politics now? Like, pastor, what are you talking about? Number four, we have spiritual power. This is from verse 9 through 11. We have spiritual power to tear down and overthrow the spirit of Elimus. We as Christ followers have the power and the authority to overthrow evil work that's at hand. And again, let me be very, very clear. I'm not talking about one party or the other. This lives above party. This lives in the spiritual realm. Number five, when the spirit of Elimus is broken, it's very, very clear. People come to Jesus. Let me read verse 12 for you. When Sergius Paulus saw what had happened, he believed. For he was amazed at the teachings of the Lord. When the corporate church gets overly involved in political messaging, it takes the message off of us and off of the mission of Jesus. Can I remind you what the mission is? Church, our mission is always lost souls. Church, our message is always the gospel. As a corporate body, our mission is always lost souls and our message is always the gospel truth. Ours is a higher kingdom and we serve a greater king. And if you don't understand this basic point, if we don't understand the starting point of the corporate church, then you'll get mad at this pastor for not preaching about politics enough. All right, everybody take a deep breath. Breathe it out. All right. We're going somewhere else, right? Take it I'm, seriously. Like, can you please loosen up a little bit? Because y'all have gone from, oh, this is funny to, oh, dear God. <laughs> so, so loosen up ju- just a little bit. Here's where we're going next it's as individual Christians. So we have this corporate response. Now we have an individual response because individually, we actually have a civic responsibility. I pointed to it earlier. We're called to. That's one of our basic civic responsibilities. Paul actually appealed to his right as a Roman citizen. And there's five parts of our civic responsibility. Let me spell these out for you. The first one is we're all individually, not corporately, individually called to pray. You say, Pastor, you talk about prayer a lot. Yeah. You know what prayer is? It's a conversation with God. And I want to have a conversation with God before I ever have a conversation with a person. I want to have a conversation with God, and I want to read Scripture before I ever let my personal preference or my personal opinion step into play. Number two, know what the Bible teaches. Know what the Bible teaches. Let let me ask you this, just just bluntly. Have you actually prayed and asked God who you should vote for? Or have you listened to media sources? Have you listened to news channels? Have you gone down the rabbit trail of YouTube links? Or have you dove into scripture? What does the Bible say about political issues? Number three, decide your top issues. Because I promise you, when you, read, when you read this thing, there will be some things that kind of come to the surface. When you follow the teachings of Jesus, there will be some things that kind of find their way to the top. So what does it mean to decide your top issues? It's not your preferences. It's not what sounds good to you. It's what the Bible says. Number five, pray again and go to work. Listen, I'm going to book in my life with prayer. And I would advise you to do the same thing. You start with prayer, you end with prayer. Because regardless of what happens in the next two days, we will still be a church that fights for the right to life. Regardless of what happens in, in the next few days, we will still be a church that reaches our community. Regardless of what happens in, in the next few days, we're still going to follow the Bible. I, I don't care who the president is. I'm going to follow my king. I, I'm going to follow Jesus. So regardless of who is, is elected, I know the direction that I'm going. Listen, I, I know that if there's people hurting, I'm called to meet the need. Because what I follow is Matthew 25 and 28. Matthew 25 says take care of people. Matthew 28 says, hey, let's go baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what do I do? I take care of people and I lead them to Jesus. Th- that's, that's what I'm called to do. Let's keep diving into Scripture. Isaiah chapter 8, starting in verse 10. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 10. If you're taking notes, plan and plot all you want. Nothing will come of it. All your talk is mere talk. It's empty words. Because when all is said and done, when all is said and done, the last word is Emmanuel. God with us. The Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. That's verse 11. That wasn't Zach Witt. That was verse 11. So if you found yourself feeling like you're in a small minority or feeling misunderstood or maybe you're completely baffled at the thinking of the masses, you're probably in a great place. Simon Chen said this, he said, if I come across something in God's Word, so if I come across something in the Bible that I disagree with, I need to assume that I'm wrong. Not that the Bible is wrong. Again, it's not your preference, it's not your personal opinion, I, I know that's a hard pill to swallow, church, but you can't start with self. Listen, we can't pick and choose and subscribe and unsubscribe when we want to. Anybody get, anybody get some annoying emails? You're like, I'm going to unsubscribe. Oh, man, I really like that discount, so let me subscribe back to it, like just for the, for the Christmas season. Like, Listen, we can't just unsubscribe and subscribe to this thing when we want to. We have to take it in the fullness of its context. So for a second, let me see if I can teach us a biblical principle through a basketball game. I heard this metaphor, and it was actually too good not to use. So let me, let me start with this. LeBron James just won another championship. I think he could probably make a case for being the greatest of all time. I, I think he maybe just moved above Jordan. I told you I was going to offend everybody. That has nothing to do with what I'm going to say. I just told you I was going to offend everybody at some point. Mario's over here twitching. He's like, "What, LeBron? Like you're you're wearing you're wearing Lebron's, but who's greater, Mario? Is it is it Lebron or is it is it Jordan? Jordan? Anybody say Lebron's got a chance right now? No. no? Well, I do for the sake of the analogy, okay? But it's a hot topic. Like who's considered greater now, Jordan or or Lebron? The question is actually irrelevant. I just want, want to make a, a point. So every. Every Sunday, um, about 3 p.m., we have a tribe meet that meets, and uh, we play basketball. It's a lot of fun, but, man, we get competitive. Like, we, we go at it. Uh, today, here's my asterisk. Uh, I come to you with commercial announcements. Our building banquet is today at 5 p.m. The doors open, so make sure you're there and in commercial. But we, we play basketball, and um, it, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. But let's, let's imagine a professional basketball game, just for a second. So we have two teams. And ultimately, there's two goals. There's two outcomes. one team wants one outcome, the other team wants another outcome, therefore there is conflict. Let me slow it down for you. There are two teams. There's Democratic and there's the Republicans. Two differing goals, therefore, there is conflict. But really, there's a third team. You might say that they're on the court, but they're not of the court. They're the officials. See, the officials are on the court, but they're actually held to a higher standing. They're held to the NBA offices. And Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, has sent these delegates or these ambassadors to bring order to what was otherwise a chaotic conflict. If you're an official, your personal preference and your opinion doesn't actually matter. You can be on the court with LeBron James and think he's the greatest player in the world and think that the Lakers should win the NBA championship, but your opinion actually doesn't matter. They may have a personal desire for one team or another team to win, but they must subjugate their desire to a higher order, and that higher order is the NBA rulebook. They don't belong to the dualistic game. They don't belong to one side or the other. They actually wear a totally different jersey. In order for the officials to do their job well, they are given a book. And it's the rule book. So every call that they make, every time they blow the whistle, whistle, every time they cast their ballot on a play, they're not casting their ballot on what they believe their preference is. It's based on the book. Some of y'all are just now seeing where I'm going with this. <laughs> Oftentimes the officials are booed. Oftentimes, you hear things like, you're terrible, or I'll give you a quarter to make a good call, or you left your eyes in the last half. Maybe I'm just revisiting high school too much because that's the stuff I used to scream. And sometimes the officials are cheered, but the officials aren't there to win a popularity contest. The officials are there to bring order. And good offic- a good official is there to protect the players, but no matter what, They have to go by the book. See, the reality of it is, church, we have the decision to obey the book or not. What are you subscribing yourself to? Political agenda or the Bible? Do you unsubscribe yourself to the Bible when political agenda follows your preference? Or do you stay subscribed to Scripture throughout your life? What does the Bible say? I'm about to tap dance on some toes here. So uh, just pick your feet up if they start to hurt. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12 through 13. Let's go in. Don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. I'm reading scripture right now, all right? Don't throw anything at me. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12. Fact check me. Don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. And don't live in dread of what frightens them. Verse 13. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one who should make you tremble. If you're taking notes, write these down. I'll go through them kind of quick. Number one, don't call conspiracy what others call conspiracy. Isaiah was actually speaking about the reliance of the people of God upon government and political alliances for their protection and provision. What are you looking towards for your protection? What are you looking towards for your provision? Because a lot of language that I hear is, I'm voting for this person because it protects my way of life. I'm voting for that person because it protects my way of life. Can I remind you that the Lord protects your way of life? Can I remind you, church, that whatever happens in the next couple of days, we're still going to follow the Bible. I know I sound repetitive because it's the starting point, and it's the only point. There's not another one. Why do I sound a little repetitive? Because I just keep repeating what the thing says. What I'm asking you to do is stop clicking on the links on Facebook. Stop watching all the YouTube videos. I'm not asking you to be uninformed. I'm asking you to stop being obsessed. Church, we're called to be informed. We're not called to be obsessed. Number two, God has not called us to live in fear or dread. There's a lot of fear out there. And according to the text and according to Isaiah... What was causing the fear? It was the conspiracy theories. So again, it's following the rabbit trails. I'm not asking you, I'm not even hinting on the fact that you shouldn't be informed. We're called to be informed. We're not called to live in fear. Number three, fear of God breaks the fear of man. Verse 13, make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one that should make you tremble. I know this sounds counterintuitive, but fear breaks fear. Fear breaks fear. Sometimes we fight fire with water. Sometimes in order to to kind of uh, put out fires, we pour water. You have a raging inferno. You have a forest fire. Whatever you might have, a building on fire, sometimes you put water on them. But when you have a wildfire that's out of control, when we can't stop a wildfire, uh, think of of fires in California, think of what's going on across our nation, think of what's going on in Australia uh, back at the beginning of the year. Side note, that was still 2020. Anybody remember like the fires in Australia? Like that was 2020. It was still a thing. It was like the first thing. It was like, oh boy, we're in for a treat. Uh, But sometimes in order to put out fire, you fight fire with fire. Sometimes in order to put out a raging inferno, you actually get out ahead of the fire and you do what's called a controlled burn. And you kind of burn an area so that the fire can't continue to burn. Could the reason be that we have so much fear in our lives is that we have so little fear of God? Could the reason be that we're so afraid of of a fire that we see coming towards us is because we don't have a fear and a reverence for God? It's the difference between the fear of God and the fear of man. Because if you don't have the fear of God in your life, then you'll have a constant fear of everything else. If you don't have a fear of God in your life, then you'll have a constant fear of the government. If you don't have the fear of God in your life, then you'll have a constant fear of conspiracy. You'll have a constant fear of what other people think. You'll have a constant fear of your future. You'll have a constant fear of who's going to be elected. You'll have a constant fear of this thing called COVID. You'll have a constant fear in your life if you don't have a fear and a reverence for God. Can I be clear? It's not that you're scared of God. It's that you respect God. It's not you, that you're scared of what this Bible says. It's that you say, you know what? No, that's holy and that's pure and that's clean and that's what I want to subscribe to. Number four, remember that God is in control of those who are in control. You go back to verse 10. Plan and plot all you want. Nothing will come from it. All your talk is empty talk. It's empty words. I know it looks like some people are in control, but church, can I remind us that God is still in control. God doesn't take a break every four years. God doesn't say, hey, y'all figure it out, and when y'all pick who you want, then I'll come back. Listen, if we truly believe that he's king, if we truly believe that he's on his throne, if 20 minutes ago we were raising our hands and we believe He's there, can we still continue that He's or still continue to believe that He's going to be there in two days? Like he, he doesn't take a break. I don't know I don't know why, but as Christ followers, sometimes we think that God takes breaks. We think that we think that He takes the day off. He doesn't take November 3rd off every every four years. Number five. When all is said and done. The last word, the last word is always Jesus. Why? Because verse 10 told me so. Because when all is said and done, the last word is Emmanuel. God with us. I was watching Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. Anybody seen The Last Dance? Great documentary. Fantastic documentary. And, and as I was watching that documentary, I, I kind of I mean, I kind of got obsessed with it a little bit. I told you not to be obsessed, but that's me confessing I was obsessed. Um, and I would watch it at night, and, and I would get into the games. Like, I would get into to the playoff games. I, I, I would get into the championship games. And, and I would almost get nervous for Jordan. And I would almost kind of think, man, is he, is he going to pull it out? Here's the problem with that. I knew the man won six championships. I knew the end of the story. I I knew that no matter how many shots that he missed, he still won the championship. I, I knew that no matter how many times he got fouled, he still won the championship. I knew that no matter how many games they lost in the playoffs, he still won the championship. I knew that no matter how far behind he was in a game, he still won the championship. Church, we know the end of the story. Church, we know who wins. Church, we we know who wins the championship. Can I remind you? God with us. So with every head bowed and every eye closed. Lord, my prayer today is very simple. Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice that we would hold on to your truth. That we would always start with prayer. Lord, I pray that when we have those conversations with you, that we won't just come asking questions. But we would come already studying your word i think a lot of times lord we we wonder why you're not answering us and your simple responses i already have it's called the bible we wonder why we don't hear from you but the reality of it is you speak louder in scripture than you ever have before lord i pray that when we think about those deciding issues that we would follow the scripture, that we would follow the rule book, that we wouldn't just take a side, but we'd follow you. Lord, I pray that you would uncover things that candidates believe. I I pray that when we do our, our research, when we realize that we have a civic duty to vote, a civic responsibility to vote, that we wouldn't just cast a ballot, but we would do the research. And then that we would vote accordingly. And Lord, I pray that we would bookend it with prayer. That regardless of what the outcome is in a couple of days, that we would truly remember God with us.